Hello, and welcome to Geek Cinema Podcast, a podcast where my friends and I have a conversation over geeky, nerdy, and fanboy or fangirl movies alike. We're not experts or an educational podcast. We're just a group of friends who like talking about sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and superhero movies. My name's Everett, and welcome to our th- second... <laughs> yes, I have a lisp now. <laughs> lisp now, after all these years of doing this podcast. Um, we're doing our second week of our... Uh, October month uh, horror podcasts. What am I? Let me get a a hold on myself. We're doing the 80s icons this year for October, and this is the second week. You can go back and listen to our first week over Child's Play if you want to, as well as all of our old podcasts on uh, secondmob.com or your podcast app. And this is over Hellraiser, which there are major spoilers for, as well as The Evil Dead, and minor spoilers for Jeepers Creepers 2, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, The Rest of the Hellraiser movies and Iron Man. That's all the spoiler warnings I have, so if you enjoy this episode, please go subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Other than that, let's jump into this episode over Hellraiser with myself, Brandon, Matt, and Cece, and you can enjoy the conversation. I may start recording, then you can enjoy it. you want me to introduce her? Okay, I'll introduce (laughs) All right. Oh, God. So this is Cece. I've known Cece for... Uh, 10 years actually a little bit more than 10 years and we watch weird movies together she uh, she likes the more bizarre things like I do and some of like the more bizarre shit that I have shown you and we have just watched and uh, yeah yeah and I'll let you if you have anything <laughs> else you want to add to that by all means um okay so yeah as Matt said we we've known each other since Oh, 2007, but um, he likes weirder stuff than me. I mean, <laughs> probably than just anyone. Bury me, <laughs> just bury. No, I mean, there are some stuff that he watched that I actually enjoy, and some is like, oh, dude, seriously, what? are you kidding me with this? But you we know, watch, it's we watched Dude Bro Party Massacre three together. Like, is, and we, we'll all learn to love that part, but. If it was for me, he will probably end up watching 80s movies, any 80s movies, because that's pretty much the, the whole era that I love and enjoy. Oh, yeah. I think we can all relate to that, especially yeah. since we're here for those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everett, have you watched anything this uh, week? Yeah, speaking of 80s, um, I um and continuing we actually recorded real recent this is uh, four days after our last mm-hmm. recording um but so i'm going through my 31 days of halloween movies uh and i watched oh i said speaking of the 80s <laughs> i haven't watched anything from the 80s since <laughs> besides hellraiser um i watched the hills have eyes though fuck that movie uh, that's what you said uh, before this, and uh, I talked to Kyle a little bit about it too, and he said, uh, like before I had watched it, and he mm-hmm. said, "Don't bother, it's boring." And I was like, "Really?" And I, I was like, it "It's was like boring. considered I just a classic." It was a terrible movie. I I felt like it was so so sadistic and just mean spirited. It is mean spirited. Um, well, I mean, it's very obviously he's like. I mean, I could pick up that he's saying like he's he's got a distaste for like the seventies capitalistic american Mm -hmm. type thing and so it's just him beating up on them essentially but um i actually liked it a lot i thought it was very creepy 
um, and it held up like as a 70s movie compared to Carrie. Like Carrie feels very 70s. This one, mm-hmm. it feel you can tell it's a 70s movie, but still it like holds up better, uh, scare wise. Okay, all right. I hated it. Never seen it in my life. Never. Yeah, I I hated it. I hated. I walked out. One of the few movies I've ever walked out of is the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. Mm. I worked at the theater when that one came out and uh, found it so, just so disturbing and mean spirited and just uh, disgusting. Like couldn't do it. Too too rapey. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And gratuitous. Yeah. What else? I know you watched one of my favorites. Jeepers Creepers is one of your favorites? Did you not know that? No. Yeah. That's why I was like, I watched that recently. Like, I watched that, I don't know, a couple weeks huh. ago. I love one movie. and two, I do that double feature probably probably twice a year. Really? Interesting. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. Wow. Ray, Ray Wise oh, no. is in part two. It's, I read that today. Um, it's worth the watch. Is it? It is. It's uh, it changes the formula up a, a, a bit, and it feels more like a, like a monster movie, but it's fun and kind of it. Fe- it feels like an '80s monster movie. Right. Less horror though. Yeah. Less less terror. Like it, it seemed like all the reviews were saying like they get less scary over time, mm-hmm. and I actually found the first one actually pretty scary, very suspenseful at the beginning, and then it quickly falls into uh, genre tropes and cliches. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I enjoyed it. The villain design was really cool, isn't it? The creeper. Um, he like to me, it felt like a super villain or mm-hmm. like a Buffy, a Buffy foe. Um, but I will say, like, if they had kept him hidden the whole movie, like where when he's standing in front of the scarecrow, just in this lady's yard, yeah, he is terrifying. Like, I was so creeped out and just disturbed when they were hiding his face. But then once they start showing off his design, I'm like, he's not really scary. He's just cool looking. Yeah. Um, yeah, he is cool looking. And that's, like I told you last year, like, that was one of my major disappointments was Jeepers Creepers 3 because oh, I love the first two yeah. so much. Mm-hmm. Third one sucks. It's on yeah, Netflix. But I did it's read like it. you and me made it in our backyard. The Pretty the much, yeah. The coolest thought to, of the second one to me um was that he does have like a Van Helsing? <laughs> it's hard to picture Ray Wise as that though. So good, so good. Hmm. I say that, but don't trust anything I say. Forget, <laughs> you know, but um, I enjoy it for the campiness. What else? Um, that's all I've watched since then. Besides uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, that was my palate cleanser last night. That was your palate oh, cleanser. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I can see that. Brandon, you watch anything? I watched uh, End of the Dark. The new, the first one, uh, the body on Hulu. Oh yeah, we talked about that. I, I watched it. I started it, but I didn't get to finish it. It's good. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's about it, really. I'm gonna probably finish it tonight. We'll talk about it next yeah. time. Yeah, for sure. But that, yeah. That's What's it called? It, it's Into the Dark, and then the body. That's like the, the series. Actual, that's the name of the yeah. anthology. Uh, series. The okay. Yeah. 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 I remember us talking about this. Yeah. Hulu, so right? Mm-hmm. Yep, they're putting on a new one every month. Um, I watch um, a movie, a Chinese movie called Paradox. That is pretty much the Chinese version of Taken. And anything <laughs> with Liam Neeson, I'm going to love. And this movie was uh, pretty good. I mean, they have a different pace for all Asian movies. 
um, definitely a crime thriller. So that's that was whatever put me in. And then I watch uh, Tag. Oh, Jeremy yeah. Renner. I like Tag. It was pretty good. It was so funny. I, I really enjoyed that movie. And then um, I just been watched series like I always do on a weekend because I have no life, basically. But yeah, those are the movies that I watched. All right. I uh, think Tag was pretty divisive, so I was afraid to, like, jump. Uh, I haven't seen it. Yeah. I, I want to see. Uh, I still want. I want to see it. I want to go see. Um, I still want to go see Venom. Yeah, I need to go see that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I want to. So have you, have you so looked at the Rotten Tomatoes score on this? Isn't it like thirty like three or something? It's like a thirty three percent on the tomato meter. Yeah. It has an eighty nine percent audience score. Yeah, I've heard nothing heard. but people say they love it. You're yeah. like the only one. You're, yeah, yeah. You're the only person. I've it's heard crazy. That, I feel like bad. I've, granted, I've always like leaned more in the critic side, maybe because mm-hmm. I'm so critical about movies nowadays. And you're also a big Spider-Man fan, so it's something kind of close to you. Yeah, I guess it wasn't so... I, I've gotten really good um, over the years about like separating comic and movie, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think it... it, right? it, it I mean, it's, just, it's a popcorn yeah. film, so maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. But also, like, I it, there's a standard now. There is a standard now. So I don't know. Go Go enjoy it. I'm not telling people not to. I've heard it's awesome. I right? just had, I just took issue with it. My roommate right. keeps asking me if I've seen it every day since it's been out. <laughs> so. so this is one of my. We're about to talk about Hellraiser. Oh boy! <laughs> this is one of my all-time favorite. It is my favorite horror franchise in existence. Period. Hand hands down. Okay, that just tells you how weird I am. So <laughs> I'll try I, to tread lightly. Yeah. I have no. By all means, weird. Weird is not. Like the the word that you're looking for, man. It's not it's not weird. So, because of this, I I want to tell you the story of this film. Mm-hmm. 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 And that the only well, I guess you could say I watched one thing. I watched this documentary called Leviathan, which is a nine hour documentary about the making of Hellraiser <laughs> one and Jesus. two, uh, with a little bit about three. But I condensed it really down, so we're just gonna go through kind of the highlights. <clears throat> So, fun fact. Let me just start this out. This actually... So, it's based on a book called The Hellbound Heart. Okay? And that book... By Clive Barker. By Clive Barker. He, was an, he was an author th- first, right? He was an author first. And we'll get into that. But it's just a fun little thing that connects this... Connects Hellraiser to Game of Thrones. Because this book... You're really losing me now. This this <laughs> Two book, things I don't care <laughs> <right>? about. <laughs> <laughs> this book was initially published in uh, Night. It's called uh, Night Visions Volume Three, and it was a publication in the UK, and it was edited together by George R. R. Martin. <laughs> and that was the first time the Hellbound Heart was ever made available. It was only after the success of Hellraiser that it was put out as a single book because it's it's less than two hundred pages. It's a really yeah. quick read. So, initially titled Sadomasochist from Re- from Beyond the Grave, Clive, yeah, Bar- no. <laughs> Clive Barker set out to adapt his novel, <laughs> The Hellbound Heart, after feeling previous adaptations of his work, Underworld and Rawhead Rex, respectively, failed in Barker's eyes. And let me tell you, Rawhead Rex, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but the book, the short story, is about a penis monster. Mm. What the fuck? 
fuck. And they try to make it into a movie <laughs> for public consumption, and they turn it into more of a more of like a standard. He kind of looks like an angry mutant King Kong, and they I I think it's fine. But yeah, when you say the title, I'm like, man, as a Jurassic Park fan, this sounds this must be great. <laughs> I swear to God, like I thought whenever I read it, I was like, oh, I was like, it must involve like a fucking Tyrannosaurus or something. No, Has to. no, big fucking penis monster. <laughs> oh, God, he wanted something that pushed the censors and senses to their limits, something that would change and leave a lasting impression on any and all that saw it. Of all his stories, he felt that Hellbound Heart, which when written was written with the screen in mind, would be perfect. A frustrated Barker decided to pull from his knowledge and experience of theater and write the screenplay himself and start to look for ways to get a real production together uh, because before this, his only experience was with two short films. One of those short films was The Forbidden, which we would later know as Candyman. Oh, okay. Like, it was developed into a full length? Mm-hmm. Into, okay. yeah. Uh, I mean, he wrote the... He obviously had a novel, or he wrote a short story, which was The Forbidden, and then made the eight-minute short film and then turned it into Candyman that we oh. later knew in the 90s. Hmm. Barker met Christopher Figg through a mutual friend. Figg worked as an assistant director but wanted to get into producing. He liked Barker and felt this could be his chance. Through past connections, Figg was able to get a meeting with Roger Corman's company, New World Pictures. What do you know about Roger Corman? Uh, Superman. Yeah. Yeah, Superman, Superman, and, and a bunch like, of comedies before that. <laughs> comedies before that, and micro budgets. Like we get it in and we get it out in a week or two. Mm, right. So, New World liked the very original idea, but expressed concern over the title. Which, speaking of which, uh, to stop you, like Roger Corman being like a producer and such after doing all these like well-renowned films, mostly, mm-hmm. um, Coppola produced. Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, isn't like, that weird? His name pops up at the end. I'm like, what? <laughs> isn't that weird? Isn't That's that weird? bizarre. And the director before Jeepers Creepers made the movie Powder for Disney. Oh, yeah. That's disturbing after reading all about him. Did you read all about him? All yeah. the stuff yeah. that happened. Yeah. 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 But yeah, strange. Strange that Disney hired him after all that bullshit. When yeah. they turn around and they fire James Gunn for some fucking tweets. For like, tweets, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, Disney's had their ups and downs. It's okay. He's getting Suicide Squad. Yeah. Is that a joke? No, did you not hear about that? Did he's you really like, not know that? He's like, he's like James Gunn is doing runner, Suicide Squad 2 that's yeah. going to be like a re- reboot of sorts. They're like, they're like putting the final touches on getting him signed down for it. And Batista might be Bane. Yeah, Batista like already tweeted that he oh, wants no. to jump on. He wants <laughs> really? to jump on Guardians. Huh. Because he already said that. I mean, like, if they give ago. if if Warner Brothers will for once in their lives go with give it give the director his 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 stuff, then awesome. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. So they had concerns over the title. Sadomasochist. From Beyond the Grave, which I'm sorry, but if I think I saw that at the theater, I'd have I'd have some concerns too because we're yeah. not going to make any money, guys. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we're going to lose. So Fig promised it was only a working title. New World decided a part to use a partner for financing, but eventually that partner would back out, and New World almost did as well. But after some convincing from Barker and seeing his concepts, they agreed to finance it all. For not for initially it was seven hundred thousand pounds. And then that would balloon to 900,000 pounds. So he drew his own concepts? He did, because he's an artist as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that. I read that. So 
And he was directing this. First time real director, too. Like, this is a big <laughs> leap of faith. Yeah. <laughs> so Barker then settled on Hellbound for the title, to which Fig countered with Hellraiser, a title he thought matched the story's edginess and vis- visceral nature, as well as fit what controversies they might encounter after the film was released. So he kind of had a dark sense of humor here. Because obviously we watched this movie and it's it's got plenty of things to talk about, plenty of offensive things. Filming was initially going to be seven weeks, but that was extended to ten. To help make things go as smoothly as possible for first-time director Fig and Barker, storyboarded every shot in the script so for a while their entire like little office they had had every single shot like angles and all mapped out Mm -hmm. which is not really something most do new world pushed for the setting and characters to be american when barker initially had it all to be set in the uk and english andrew robinson was the first uh, actor cast Barker already had Doug Bradley set to play the lead Cenobite as well as the other Cenobites cast most of which were his friends and past history in the theater together Julia was the hardest role to cast uh, in part because Barker wanted to paint not only did he see her as a star but he wanted to paint a different kind of monster we'd been through the 80s and we'd seen all kinds of monsters Mm-hmm. And in his mind, the real monster of the story isn't Frank and it isn't the Cenobites. It's Julia. Yeah. Huh. So Barker went after Higgins for the role after her screen test with Bradley was amazing, but she rejected not once but twice after reading the entire script. After discussing the ideas and what Brom- Barker intended to do with the role and the depth of the character, she agreed. Barker knew he wanted two actors to portray Frank. One, a suave, irresistible jerk of a guy, which we saw. And the other, a ruthless, cold-eyed, and fragile being. Sean Chapman would be cast for the human Frank, and Oliver Smith would be the voice and the monster. But the final piece of the puzzle was casting Ashley Lawrence as Kirsty. Barker wanted an innocent-eyed girl, not, but not a typical final girl. Something something wholesome, something warm with a hard edge that could suddenly manifest before your eyes. Like, looking at Brandon, Brandon, you look kind of angry. But you know what? <laughs> Sometimes we sit here and we talk, and yeah. it's like you are the most cuddly guy. I really am. <clears throat> um, That's true. <laughs> <laughs> he does look like he's going to, like do a pile driver with you. <laughs> he might. He might. <laughs> you keep fucking talking. Uh <laughs> So two actresses were seen before Ashley Lawrence walked through the door and gave Barker everything he was looking for. Um, However, Lawrence had a really hard time on set. She had nightmares of all the things she was going to see and constantly doubted her abilities, especially when playing next to Andrew Robinson, who, if you don't know who that was, at this time, he was a big deal because he was the bad guy in Dirty Harry. Oh. That's what got him this role. So I thought he looked, like, really familiar. So, while all the casting was going on, Bob Keane was hard at work at bringing Barker's visions of the Cenobites to life. He envisioned them as a bizarre family of sorts. We had the lead Cenobite, which that's what he was called in the script, everybody else on the script, and the fans later would call him Pinhead, uh, which 
also none of the Cenobites in the film, as you know, have names. They were all just given nicknames that kind of stuck. Yeah. We had Pinhead, and then people just called the female Cenobite, female Cenobite. Nobody got creative with that, <laughs> even though she looks like she's got kind of like a vagina on her neck. Yeah. <laughs> but which would you, if you were her, would you want female Cenobite or vagina neck? <laughs> vagina neck. Vagina neck. <laughs> vagina neck. Oh. <laughs> um, I yeah. Don't, I don't Maybe know. JJ Nick is better. <laughs> yeah. So Pinhead was the leader and the dad, which would mirror Larry. We had the female Cenobite that we, and second in command that would mirror Julia. We had Butterball, who was seen as the son. He was the fat guy, kind of the surgeon of the group. And then we had Chatterer, who was the family dog and an uncontrollable element. Keen designed the makeup based off of Barker's sketches, and it took hours to get the actors into the makeup requiring them sometimes to be on set as early as 3 a.m. in the morning. Jane Wildgoose, that's a real name, Wildgoose, Wild <laughs> designed the Cine- Cenobite attire, which if you say Cenobite really quick, it sounds like Cenobite. Yeah, like, like a cinnamon roll. Or like a cinnamon, like roll a bite. cinnamon roll bite. Somebody said that one day, and it just broke my entire brain about Cenobite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Fun fact is Chatterer's, Chatterer's design came from the actor who played him telling Barker about this major reconstructive surgery he had just had on his upper lip. Oh. Because in the novels, they're not really... Pinhead is sort of described, hmm. but the others are not so much. Just kind of vague descriptions are given. Filming kicked off on September 6, 1986 in the UK and would wrap a few days short of the 10-week schedule. Filming was smooth, and the set was generally a fun place to be, despite what they were making. A notable complication was Butterball. Initially, he was ha- he was to have a few lines, but couldn't speak with all the makeup, so his lines were transferred over to the female Cenobite. Hmm. While filming went off without a hitch, editing and the music was another story. Barker Fig and Richard Madden sent over some footage to New World, and New World called them and said, Listen... This is not a staircase movie. We're sending over t- Tony Randall to sort you out. The footage they sent over all primarily featured the staircase. There was the scene of uh, the mattress being loaded in. It was Julia standing mm. on the stair. I mean, if you think about it, this movie does feature the staircase a lot. Something I never really even yeah yeah. I mean, the first about. shot pulls like one of the first shots pulls down from the it, staircase, and then it does feel a lot like a multicam. TV show. It does. Like where they only have two sets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. Well, it was a real house too. Really? Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was not a facade. That Interesting. was a, it was a real house. Uh the only facade actually strangely enough is the hospital scene. That's oh. a set. Mm. Yeah. That's weird. So, I mean, um, the wall opens up. So, yeah, makes yeah. sense. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> Unless you mean it's weird that that's the only set there. It is weird. Uh, that's yeah, that that's only. weird. It's, it's odd that they would shoot a an actual budgeted film in a real house. It's cheap. One million dollars. Wow, that is cheap. So thankfully Tony helped and was a collaborator and not a studio dictator. Randall's biggest impact was the structure and idea for how to handle Frank's resurrection. In the book, it's kind of glossed over. He just kind of appears out of the shadows, (laughs) right? So... Barker and a skeleton crew came together, complete with Bob Keane, to shoot what some would argue is the most memorable scene in the film. The music is another interesting story. Barker recruited Coyle, the brainchild of Peter Christofferson of Throbbing Gristle, which is a really experimental industrial group. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fucking noise if you've ever listened to it, Fuck. and it gives me a headache. 
uh, which is hard to do because I like industrial, but that's a little much. So that they were going to do the uh, score. The music was going to be electronic and highly experimental, exactly what Barker imagined for a film of this nature. Mm. However, New World felt the music didn't fit the gothic imagery on the screen. And since there was money left from reshoots, they told Tony Randall to find a composer, preferably a new and inexpensive one, to rescore the film. Randall immediately thought of Christopher Young, a name which you might know. No, I immediately recognized it. I'm like, Christopher Young, Christopher Young is wrecking my brain. I'm like, oh, the Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3 guy. guy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He's worked with uh, Raimi since then. Mm-hmm. I think he just did drag me to hell. He did drag me to hell. He's, yeah. I don't think he did Oz, though. He didn't do Oz. Um, so a new, Christopher Young was a New World collaborator who had just wrapped up A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Interestingly enough, after the rescore was complete, Hellraiser was set for release, but critics were already considering it a failure. Why? Here's why. Because Stephen King, another horror author, just gave the world what some would consider a massive train wreck and overhyped film called Maximum Overdrive. Fuck. (laughs) Have you ever watched the trailer for Maximum Overdrive? I've seen the whole movie. But have you watched the trailer? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It's not anything from the movie. No. It's Stephen King standing there, intentionally looking at the camera cross-eyed, telling you he's going to scare the hell out of you. And he looks like he's on a lot of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch it sometimes. It's, it's totally worth your, totally worth it. It's not long. <laughs> the censors also took issue with the S&M imagery and demanded a few scenes be removed, but those scenes, mostly of Frank and Julia, were crucial to the plot. So a few of their scenes were actually completely reshot and re-edited back into the film. And after going back and forth a number of times with the censors, Hellraiser was granted its R rating. Critics were mixed... Uh, whenever the film came out, but Hellraiser was a success, earning $14 million domestically on 900,000 pounds. Pretty, pretty good. The marketing, sex, the marketing successfully implanted Pinhead in everyone's minds, so much so that a common complaint from all these reviews was that he was barely in the film mm-hmm. after being everywhere on the posters. Yeah. New yeah, World I almost that. immediately greenlit the sequel. However, Barker was touring with a new book called We World and couldn't commit to returning to direct. Christopher Figg did return to produce and convinced Barker to produce and oversee the sequel the best he could. Funny enough, the sequel would be called Hellbound. Hellbound wasn't an easy shoot, but was a success and gave the green light to part three, and the green lights would keep coming for this franchise. They've made a total of ten Hellraiser films, which... We'll eventually talk about it later. But that is the story of Hellraiser. Everett, Cece, Brandon, anyone listening, give me your thoughts. Did you like this movie? Because you already know first, that I love it. Anyone listening cannot respond to you because this is a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And it won't go out till I, after we've ended the conversation. Brandon! Or not Brandon. <laughs> Seth, Aaron, I'm talking to you. Um. <laughs> Uh no uh so yeah I I wanted to state because last week I mentioned I'm not a fan of horror I've said it a lot on this podcast I'm not a huge fan of horror I like horror movies I like the genre but not it's it's lower on my list um, uh, yeah but last week I said although I'm not I am a fan of supernatural crime thrillers uh I'm not a fan of horror and I'm even less a fan of 
body horror soap operas. Yeah. Is that, that's what I that, have to that's, say. That's what this is to you? That's what this is to Ever- anyone with eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> Everett, when we finished this, your face and like I was I was up a lot of the night stressed about you. <laughs> Like oh, fuck. for those listening, the first thing I did in the morning when I got up, I sent Everett a message saying, "Hey, are you okay? Did you sleep okay? <laughs> sleep okay, buddy." <laughs> Stress. I was very stressed about you because, like, we've watched a lot of things, but mm-hmm. something about this one, like, just painted your face. Because we had initially sat down to watch one and two, mm-hmm. and we watched one, and that was it. And that, <laughs> that was, was that was the end of the story. Uh, I'm gonna go home and watch the second one by myself, guys. I'll see you later. Yeah, I've uh. <laughs> When I was younger, um, I liked more uh, visceral films mm-hmm. um, my high school days. Um, but as I've got older, my stomach has gotten much, much weaker. Okay. Um, I used to be able to handle A Dead Alive. Um, yeah, you mentioned that after we watched this. Since then, I, I guarantee you I would hate watching that again. Um, and this movie wasn't nearly as gross as Dead Alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dead Alive is would fall into the gross out genre Mm -hmm. but uh this just it had parts seeing a a rat filleted was not was not my uh (laughs) cup of tea i can understand that not mine either what did you think brandon i liked it but i mean it's definitely not a go-to for me Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's good like the storytelling's really good but i don't it's not one i'll keep in rotation and you mentioned uh, the uh, complaints about Pinhead not being in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the 80s icons we're going over, and Pinhead is one of them. Uh-huh. And so that was shocking. He's not even the main villain. No, he's uh, not a villain at all. It, he still tries to get Kirsty. Is it Kirsty? Kirsty. There's a reason. They still for try that. to take her down, even though she's mostly innocent in it. But uh, she opened the box. Yeah, she opened the box. True, so but I mean, is that such a crime? Well, we'll get into it. Oh boy, Cece, yeah, what did reasons. you think? It was intense, to say the least. Um, it took me three hours to watch one. What? What is it? One forty? Uh, one hour and forty minutes. About an hour and a half. Yeah. And I only could stomach like forty-four minutes of the second one. Yeah, it's that's how it definitely, was. definitely no, ma- not my go-to, and I found it deeply disturbing. Like it, it gave me nightmares. I really didn't like it, and I do enjoy horror, but this is was too much torture for me to handle. Interesting. So was it just Matt and Brandon that had watched this before? I I've only seen probably about like twenty minutes of it before. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Matt, you're the so expert. Matt's the only one. Understatement. Um. So listen, they the Cenobites, they're not. They're not the villains here. Right. They don't harm people. Their job. They they're doing a job. They are the gatekeepers to Leviathan, mm, which like, is you know, which you know, is I could hell. see that. People have jobs. Al-Qaeda has a job <laughs> to do. Fuck. You know what I mean. The Nazis had a job to you do. You call on them. <laughs> you summon them. You ask them to come to your door. Just want to just wanna state, man. I just want to throw it, that was, back at Were the you. Nazis okay doing no, what they were Nazis doing. were not okay. <laughs> not. But they're just doing a job. 
but they didn't ask for it. <laughs> you know who else? Nobody, nobody asked orders. for a Nazi to come to their door. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Frank summoned. Uh, Frank set up candles perfectly around him and asked these guys, "Hey, come hang out with me." Right, Frank. Frank. Not so, Kirsty. No, not Kirsty. Kirsty did open the box later, and the rule is is that if you open the box, they ha- it's a soul. It costs them a soul. And if they do not take a soul back. Oh, they have a they have a boss. They do. You're saying. They do have a boss. There okay. is a hierarchy. They belong to a hi- yeah. Mm, always comes down to that. There's always somebody above uh, you. You're an ass. I'm seeing always, no, I'm seeing the, the deep the deep intricacies of this movie. Damn, what did you think of how the movie genius. opened? It was very serious with the credits, the like black and white on black uh, credits with nothing behind it. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was very serious. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a very serious uh, straight-laced movie. And then we get right into the ritual pretty much. Yeah. Um, so first, first note. Everyone in this movie is sweating. (laughs) Everybody is very sweaty and uh, very nasty. We did it real quick with Frank. He he is drenched in sweat. He looks like he was ripped out of uh, out of Predator. Um, (laughs) Sweat the movie. (laughs) Yeah, sweat sweat the movie. Um, The original title. Uh, And then he's like gone, and we start seeing, or we see the hooks pulling on the skin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that looks. Like this is a cheaper movie, but I, I'm I'm still into it. Like this, I'll I'll see where this goes, and then we get to see all the like meat everywhere in the gro- the gross room. I guess the I'd big call it black dildo just hanging from the thing. Well, that's so. Uh, so what's not shown here that's in the novel is that when they show up first, they pleasure all five of your senses to the point that you can no longer handle it, and then it turns to pain. And before you realized it. They have destroyed your physical form and taken your soul. And so in this into, in this version, we skip the pleasure part. We go right to the pain part, kind of. Like we get the we get the flash of Frank like upside down twirling with blood on him. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like a callback to the book where they do that. Um, but yeah, so we see the chains come out and then we see the aftermath. Because when they come into the world, it's essentially like two dimensions lapping over one another. And they're their world comes into ours and their devices do as well. Yeah. Which um, is what the pillars are and everything else. And I know this is a budget film and all that, but I think it would have maybe best to just not show the aftermath because it honestly looked like uh, a thrill house set. Like if you went to, I, I don't know any of the places in town or the. Oh, you mean like like a, a, like a local haunted house? Yeah, like where they have the, like the people in masks and yeah. stuff, and stuff. that's what it looked like. It did not look like a movie set. Okay, yeah, I could, I could see that. I could um, see that. and it's a budget film, but still, I feel a, like when in budget films, you don't show the stuff you can't do. Yeah, yeah. Like I, the rat I, looked like a real rat being filleted. I'll be honest. I that's one of the most rat. disturbing parts about it is that it looked so real and that grossed me out. Yeah. Um, but this scene, it was just like, well, this is gross, but it looks <laughs> like something that I would have made with my uh, uh, stagecraft class in high school. You know what? Jeepers Creepers 3 looks worse. No, I believe it. <laughs> Cece, what was the first point you had to stop the film? Um... I had a, a very big problem with some continuity errors that started right off the bat. Wait, pause a minute. Um, pa- pause just... one second. Before we get into yep. before we get into this, Cece is uh, 
tell them, tell them what you do, tell them what you want to do, tell them what you like and what you watch for. Cause you watch movies differently than we watch like Everett and I and Brandon, we watch things very critically. Cece, you watch things very technically. Yeah. Well, it's mainly because I studied uh, still photography in college. So I have a degree in photography, mainly um, based in film with a minor in film directing. So cool. let's just say that that college screwed me up a little bit because I was in charge of continuity whenever we were shooting short films. So the first thing I notice are these small errors within the movie. So I'm, I'm a, basically a pain in the ass to watch a movie with because I, I notice those things and uh, the change of lighting, the, the errors on the set and, you know, anything that has to do with the art department, that is pretty much my jam. So this movie starts with two dudes sitting on a table and a cup is magically moving around the table without nobody touching it. So, yeah. so that's, that's kind of shit she picks yeah. up on. Okay. That makes sense. And then you see the, the box that also moves. It's like, mm, dude, really? This And I did my own research. Matt may not agree with what I read, but this movie was filmed sequentially. So is it was filmed as the movie is portrayed at the end mm -hmm. product mm -hmm. and every uh, shot or every yeah every shot was made in one or two takes no more than that and they fuck it up in two takes like the if you watch it the glass moved four times in that <laughs> bit of like 10 <laughs> seconds it's like it was driving me insane but that that was the main thing that I that I got, and then whenever Frank started the ritual, I was like, "Okay, shit is going down," and I was kind of ready for the ride, not not entirely, but. Do you know, if, Matt? Do you know if they had a, a continuity photographer? They did not. No, yeah. they did not. There you go. <laughs> they didn't have that. Yeah, and she's right. Like it was shot. Everything was shot sequentially, except for the going back and fixing the, like with the Frank and Julie stuff that was taken out. There was like a bunch of. It was more S and M, more stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the yeah. birth of Frank, or the rebirth the of Frank. Scene where Julia is getting on uh, with Frank, the MPAAs only allowed like two spanks oh, yeah. on the butt. <laughs> Otherwise, it will. It will was not an make uh, a G16 rating. So we go on. Frank gets ripped apart, which probably was not what you expected at the beginning of this movie. I mean, we see we see the icon right at the top of the film, which is unheard of for the 80s. Normally it's shadows and you don't see it till later. Mm, yeah. Um, and we get introduced to our little happy family. And let me tell you, Larry, every time I see Larry, Andrew Robinson... I always think he's the guy from Independence Day that crashes the plane into the the fucking oh. uh, spaceship. Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid. I always think he's Randy Quaid. 
Really? Like, I kept looking. I was like, where's your fucking Independence Day credit? Because I wrote down past things that they had mm. done. And I was like, oh. Yeah, I think Randy Quaid looks like uh, uh, a crazy man, which he is a crazy man. <laughs> he, uh, but I actually uh, thought the guy who who played him, uh, Larry, is actually a pretty uh, good-looking guy. He was a good-looking guy. He kind of He's a little weathered. He's, he's, he's somebody that's trying to – you can tell he's – not all's right, and he's struggling to hold the ship together with Julia, mm-hmm. who they've moved back, and she doesn't want to be there. Um, and you can tell by her face, right on the first shot, if you see, they they zoom in into their eyes, and she's looking like she's having the worst time of her life. She doesn't want to be there one bit. No, no, she doesn't. Did you recognize her, Everett? No. I mean, I thought at points I'm like, she seems familiar, but I, I, I couldn't place anything. Ready Player One. She uh, has a small scene, and that was like the highlight of Ready Player One. I was like, oh, shit, it's Julia. Like, oh. when he's coming down uh, the at the beginning of the film from the the, uh, the storage containers, mm-hmm. she's on the bottom. Oh. And she's the one who has, like, a line with him about. A conversation. Yeah. yeah. About his uncle and aunt or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so hmm. interesting. She's the one who, out of everybody in this film. She's the one that's gone on to do a ton of stuff. The about the only one. Um, Doug Bradley's done a lot of bit parts, and Doug Bradley plays Pinhead. Right. So, uh, so we meet Julia and Larry, Julia and Larry, and then we eventually meet Kirsty. And the one thing that makes me uncomfortable about this film is probably the weirdest thing, and it. Maybe not. I don't know. She comes in and she kisses her dad on the lips, and she's probably twenty, and he's yeah. probably forty. Yeah. And I was kind of like, no, <laughs> like I hear that. That's I comment in certain. Uh, it's just family to family because I know my friend Alyssa. Like she's kissed her parents on the lips all her life. It just... But do you know why she did that? No, I don't. In know. this movie. Because originally the book, Christy is not her daughter. Right, he's she's a family a friend. Close friend that is obsessed with Larry. So he's like, uh, how do you call it, Easter egg within the movie? I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, that was one of the big. That was probably the biggest difference here in the from book to film. Hmm. Be, I mean, how often does a does an author adapt his own work? Yeah. Um. So. That's char- That's a little bit about the characters, but Everett, talk to me about the effects work. Like, I feel like there is one of the coolest effects scenes ever committed to film in this. Like, Frank's rebirth, I feel, is so, so cool and so weird. Did you... I was I was thinking, I was like, Everett's going to love this. Really? Did you oh, just you not... Didn't it. do anything for you? It was you? too gross. Really? It was just so gross. I mean, I, I, I when I, you're actually watching his face uh, moving and stuff, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it, it was just, it was just so hard to watch. <laughs> it was like so gooey and KY jelly and, mm-hmm. uh, seeing the innards and all that. It was just, it, it was nasty. The reverse photography though was really cool. Like how they like brought the heart back to life mm-hmm. after they had melted it and whatnot. Like that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. I figured you'd get a real kick. Out it of was that. more evil dead rather than evil dead Two. Completely agree. And Evil Dead is the the Evil Dead. Sorry, not the 2013 film. Uh, the the Evil Dead is hard to watch for me. 
I can see that. A lot of the claymation stuff. Really? Like watching all the bodies decompose at the end. Uh-huh. Spoiler, big spoiler alert. I have to write that one down. For like a 50-year-old <laughs> movie. 40, yeah, like a 40-year-old movie. Yeah, they always got to warn people. Yeah. Damn it. Um, did you like, did you like the really, did you like the score? Um, did it stand out to you? No, it didn't stand out at all. I don't think he liked this movie at all. I don't think he did. What about I, you, Brandon? Talk to me about it. I, I, I liked it. I mean, I, I told you I did. I mean, I wouldn't watch it again. I'm not going to go back and watch it again. But I mean, I can. I like the story. The story is mm-hmm. really good. I mean, story was intriguing. Yeah, that was the one thing I gave it. Um, really, um, it was super gross, but like the story was intriguing. It mm-hmm. caught my attention. Um. I mean, it's a love story at heart. Well, that's the that's my problem is I, I don't like romance movies. Uh, mm-hmm. That's one reason. It feels so much like a soap opera, partially because it's shot like one, mm-hmm. um, and also because it, like, I mean, it is this lady who's cheating on her husband. That's like <laughs> soap trope opera. number one <laughs> yeah. of soap yeah, operas. One. Number two is it has to do with twins. Um <laughs> So it, John, that just until about how many more, tro- how many, ooh, uh, how many more tropes you know of the soap opera? Uh, let's see, uh, coma number three. Um, uh, husbands off at war. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, we we can we can stop cutting now. <laughs> <laughs> I I um, think the like the reason I like the movie like the story wise is like uh, this is a weird comparison, but. Have you heard like the saying like you take care of a snake that's like sick and then at the end of it when it gets healed it just ends up biting you? Mm-hmm. Nope, oh, I'm a snake. never heard of that. That's exactly you what heard I... that. But that's no. like exactly what happens in this movie because I mean Frank he's, a, he's a fucking sleazy guy kills Julia. Kills, well, that's kills one thing Julia. I was having trouble with. I'm like, why? Why is she going through with this? Like, didn't they have like the, the descriptions like that I've read and I kind of assumed this is that they had a one night stand. They had a one night stand. That, well, it was more than that. The le- the relationship went on a little bit longer. Like in the, it gives you that more in the novel. But he's like, type A abusive mm-hmm. person, and she's been out of it long enough that she should be like, um, healed. Yeah. So she shouldn't be able to. F- I I don't understand why she fell into it so quickly. Like that. she's very subsur- she w- she's okay. So normally in a relationship, she is the one in control, and that's exactly what I get. Like she's like mm-hmm. very silent, dominant type, and with Frank, Frank with Frank, she's subservient, and that's she likes that. Hmm. She's never had that. Gotcha. And that's that's their dynamic, and that's why I think she wants she keeps wanting to go back to it. What do, what do you think, Cece? First off, um, you know what? I only watched this movie once before, and when I was rewatching it, and as I saw Frank slowly becoming into a person again, it reminded me so much of Tarmon from Return of the Living Dead. I would have loved to see something like that within the movie, and I don't know. I just think that. Julia is fucking crazy. I wouldn't kill for somebody that I, you know, Just been in bed with once. Yeah. It's like, mm, it was um, an interesting story that should have been developed a little bit more and it would made a bit more sense. And at the end of it will make to somebody else, uh, Julia as the obvious villain, 
because we all went in hoping to see Pinhead to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And Julia ended up becoming a secondary character, even though she's Clearly on the entire bad. movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it took you three hours to watch the movie. What was the what was your most intense scene? Because uh, that's a question like, I have for all of you. Um, for me, uh, I cannot, I couldn't get on board with the movies. Like for me, it was hard to follow. Um, not because I saw many errors, because I did, but because of the fact that. Uh, I don't know, the whole story with Julia killing people and how still in control Frank was of her and all the psychological drama made it kind of um, hard for me to watch. And then when Chatter appeared, it was like, hell no. (laughs) I I need to stop right now. I cannot. He he is my favorite. That thing haunted me for days it's like no it's the grossest thing i ever seen in a long long time what about you everett what was the most intense moment and not grotesque intense because hmm. grotesque is something different grotesque is visual you're, yeah you're talking about suspense yeah Hold on, we're fixing Brandon's mic. You gotta stop fucking it up. Fucking <laughs> You're it up. killing. I'm in us. an awkward seat. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, it is an awkward. Wait, do you want to move down? Is it because it's leaning back so far? No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, no. Answer my question. No, I'm good. <laughs> well, we can move Padme if it's a bad spot. Here we go. I'm good. I don't okay. trust him. I don't Shut either. Think he's up. lying to me. You're a goddamn liar. <laughs> uh, God, t- intense. Like, yeah. Like I, camping, what? intense. Oh, you son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> that's my Halloween laugh. That's your Halloween laugh. That sounds like Predator. Yeah, that's <laughs> Vincent, yeah Vincent Price. Price. <laughs> Vincent Price laugh. Um, oh god, intense. I don't know. I there was okay the scene where uh Frank's uh hunting Kirsty in the in the body room. Yeah. That was the most. That was the only point of the film I actually felt tension. Okay. Really, uh, that scene? That's the one you're gonna pick? That's the only scene I felt tension. Oh. Okay. I can't help it. I'm not picking it. It's I literally mean, I the thought, only scene. Well, I thought you and I were gonna pick the same scene. That's why I'm saying that. What's yours? Oh. The where they're in bed and then he okay, freaks yeah. him with the rat. No. It, it wasn't so Coming much tense. It's just annoying. No, I'm like, it was tense. That was Stop really him. fucking like scream or weird. something. Yeah. Like, Dude, comes she can't out. like fucking say anything, mm-hmm. you know. Well, she could scream. She could scream, but she I mean, was saying no. That's a weird thing. She's saying no. Please stop. And, and like that can be taken going, one yeah. of two ways. And the husband's still doing it. It's like one, you're a rapist. Two, you're creepy. Back in the closet. Like, well, also, yeah. Also, I mean, <laughs> once he gets off, like, uh, off of her, he's like, I don't get it. You're like all for this. You're on all over me, and now you're just. I, I just don't understand. <laughs> the husband. up. <laughs> Skinless so guy behind you. I cannot do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's just not working, man. Um, Who, him? I saw him. You can, I, I fucking ignored him. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it was, for me, it was that scene is because, like, he is hunting her, and I know, I watched her dump the bodies in there, so I'm like, she's gonna run into one, so I'm getting ready for the jump scare. So it didn't actually yeah. get me because I was prepared for it. 
but uh still like I, it was just like she's gonna like fall onto one or one's gonna fall into her uh and he's gonna cap catch her but he never did until she got out of the room i don't know if it was that scene there was one moment in this film and i've seen this movie a bunch of times but something about just how your room is set up like it fucking got me like i was Mm. not prepared um which we were all sitting on a couch and i could feel when anybody would jump or anything and like i jumped and i was like that's are you fucking kidding me (laughs) like because I'm, I, I was having a grand time. Let me tell you, like you guys, sounds like you guys are kind of in misery. Like no, I'm sitting on the sorry. couch and like I've got a huge bowl of food and I'm eating and I'm like, this is amazing and like all. Yeah, this once stuff. I saw you walking with the food, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you shit. were able to eat during this. <laughs> the, like I, I was eating while I was watching it. You were that too. That was the worst mistake I ever had. <laughs> I mean, I was sitting with a uh, sushi and a glass of wine and I was like no i cannot do this anymore with all that flesh and blood jumping on the screen is like bad idea yeah i i had no problem eating but i like i've seen this movie i've seen this movie a lot of times and now after this okay so after after going through this with you guys i really feel like i've always thought this movie is nothing and suddenly it's like i need to rethink my life a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because uh I had a friend, I had a friend and his girlfriend come over one time and we, I was like, okay, we're going to do a double feature of Hellraiser one and two and never seen him before. But this friend also was like, kind of liked scary, but kind of didn't like scary. And, uh, and we watched it and it was just really quiet afterwards. I was like, wasn't that awesome? And they're like, oh yeah, it was all right. And I like, <laughs> yeah, I later found out that they like, oh, it wasn't really our thing. And now we do this and I'm like, it was probably nobody's thing. <laughs> uh yeah no it has it's an it's really it's higher than i expected on the tomato meter it's got a six sixty eight percent on the tomato meter and 73 percent on the audience score so that's pretty good that's that's pretty high so it's it's a lot of people's thing yeah what did you guys think about the drifter that randomly kept showing up oh it's fucking creepy it was weird i was like oh wait are we so we're getting a secondary plot so this is a soap opera <laughs> <laughs> you want to know? You want to know how? Like I, this was a movie that I did not enjoy, uh, for the most part. I can tell. Let me just let read me tell you, you my yeah. my notes just for fun, because it like paints a picture of Everett's <laughs> brain during this. So I've I've got open credits is what I wrote down. Then magic suicide box. Uh, these characters suck. Oh. <laughs> Is this a horror? Did you really not like any of the characters at the beginning? This is before Frank's back too, and so okay. I, I I must be hating them for for whatever. I do not remember just what they were doing Larry's at the beginning. Face. They were just uh, looking around the house, but and he was he he cut his hand open. He had the worst wound from a fucking nail. Yeah, and it like, was like way yeah. too bad. I I saw it coming because they keep going back and forth that between w- them pushing, and I knew it was gonna probably possibly be gross so i like went to go grab my notebook while able to both start taking notes and look away from the screen that was what made me jump it was it was whenever he cuts his hand yeah i I, I was reaching for my notebook and hear brandon go i'm gonna ask you a question (laughs) which hand did he cut the right (laughs) or was it the left (laughs) then then where um, there is Several scenes that the bondage is on the left hand. That's so amazing. which hand is he? How the fuck did they get that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> they were they were in a hurry, first time filmmaking. Funny enough, whenever they're moving the right. mattresses, okay, 
Doug Bradley, the guy who played who played Pinhead, who would go on to play Pinhead eight more times, or I guess seven more times, had the option to be lead Cenobite or man moving mattress with three lines, four wow. four lines, four lines, and Pinhead only has two lines, or at the time only had two lines, mm-hmm. and he's like he like he had to, he debated about it, but he picked he obviously picked Pinhead and good thing because like. I mean, he he is known for that. He shows up at conventions, and people pay eighty dollars to have their things signed and picture taken with Pinhead. Wow! No one's gonna do that for the guy who moved the mattress. Nope. He's like, that's what I was a quote. <laughs> he was like, "What am I gonna return in the sequel, Renovator 2? Like, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if uh, this is. I think this is before Kirsty may have arrived mm-hmm. when I wrote this down, but. Because I mostly liked her, but she was also like being like the uh, I don't like my stepmom type of person. Yeah. Uh, which maybe for, I didn't like her yeah, at that was time right. either because she <laughs> invo- she is one of the characters that sucks is what I had written down. Uh, after I wrote down these characters sucks, I wrote, is this a horror movie or a soap opera? <laughs> and then I did a little dot under and said, oh, it's a disgusting soap opera because <laughs> this <laughs> is when Frank is coming back. <laughs> um, I said, wise Hold on, my uh, handwriting is hard to read. Why is he <laughs> wanting to come back if he killed himself? Obviously, this is my thought process. I didn't know why he did it. Yeah, He's right. just you dead to you me, didn't realize. and now he wants to come back all of a sudden. Um, so that's that's unimportant. Uh, she can't actually be like wanting to do this, and this is my thought process here. This is kind of interesting. Maybe I don't know you tell me okay. uh, I thought she was gonna have to need Larry's blood because they're brothers mm-hmm. I assumed it was she need, it was he needs somebody blood, in line because then later he back. goes Kirsty when she's outside and when he hears her mm-hmm. and so I'm like oh he's gonna want her instead for whatever reason um, That's an but I guess thought. he was just being a creep um, yeah so, I think I think Frank given the chance would have probably raped Kirsty yeah. in a heartbeat um, he kept saying, "Come to daddy." Is yeah, that what the line yeah. was that gave him away at the end. Yeah, it was fucking weird. Um, no, uh, yeah. So that was my thought process. But then she goes out and just immediately starts killing people, and I'm like, "Wow, that was fast." And I guess she doesn't need uh family blood. No. Um. Uh. Then after I wrote, she can't actually be doing this. I wrote, "It's a soap opera again." <laughs> it just kept feeling like that. Of course, to me. she's doing it. Uh, why is everyone so sweaty in this movie? Oh, so it's got to be family blood. Uh, or it's not, it's not got to be family blood is what I wrote down. A really gross soap opera. I wrote it again. <laughs> As you can tell, this was not my thing. Um, then this was an, another fun thing I wrote down. Uh, she's killed the second guy. Mm-hmm. She's downstairs laying down on the couch, like posing. Mm-hmm. Like in a oh, like watching, paint me like one yeah. of your French girls. Yeah, type she's thing. watching Boston. And I boxing. wrote, she looks like an evil Bowie. She does. Ooh, yeah, she does. <laughs> she does. <laughs> she looks like an evil Bowie. I can see that. All right. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. Then, uh, yeah, that's all my complaints. Then I actually wrote positive things. I would like to hear some of your positive things. Uh, the only thing I wrote down is, oh, okay, I see. It's commentary on like BDSM and abuse, like a mm-hmm. connection there. Um, not judging. Uh, separating the lines. Yeah. Um. Cause like, WTF. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that falls back. I guess 
I don't know what part that was about. <laughs> I'm not sure. It must have been. Oh, it, I think it was the rat scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, my last note was happy ending plus a dragon. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> that was the best part of the movie. A dragon and Christy survived. So the dragon is actually it's a um, it's a tracker and it's a keeper of like the dark devices. They a, a they dragon. shuffle them around the world and back to different other demons that pass them around to humans. Um, and the thing, the big monster thing that's in the in the uh, in the world when she travels over yeah, to what it. What the hell was that? So that's the engineer. That's what designs and maintains this big labyrinth that's That in... thing's an engineer? Yeah. It was actually not meant to be a monster. Initially it was like the spirit kind of like intelligent being, but they they wanted something more visceral, so they made it so it could take on essentially different forms. It was the idea that it was going to be when they. I'm kind of curious what Cenobite uh, Engineering School looks like. Yeah, for real. Uh, did you want to know more information about the Cenobites? <sighs> My only really thought was, I want to know more about that dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Um and I'm gonna uh, give me a dragon. <laughs> I thought you didn't like Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, I mean, how many dragons are in that? Really, hundreds. Not as many as Reign of Fire, I'm sure. Uh, very true. Very true. Great movie. Great movie. <laughs> <laughs> Great guilty pleasure, rather. There we go. Uh, go check out the episode on it, uh, Brandon. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a, it was a fun episode. It was fun. I will. Uh. And then I was like curious, kind of um, the rules, like who, like why does this Asian old man know about the box? Why does he keep giving it away? Um, right. And uh, why do they care about torturing people? Yeah. They're... Now you've told me about the souls. They get mm -hmm. a soul out of it. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a plus. I don't know what is a soul a currency to them. Kind of. It's. I mean, it's essentially hell. It, like they run the upper echelon of hell. Um, it gave me the the feel like the Asian guy that Everett was mentioning is like the drifter. crossroad demon yeah. that will you know harvest souls in order for them to feed. Mm -hmm. That kind of vibe. Yep, that's that's about what he is. Gotcha. Um, Reminded me of Gremlins. Yeah. Oh, at the yeah. beginning of the yeah. Gremlins, the old man selling. What he, is he, doesn't want to, he doesn't want to sell the Mogwai, but I think it was the same guy too. Do not be That's racist. so racist, Brandon. God. What I did think you... it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we get some we get some sequel set up at the end. Uh, well, hold on. I'll set that up in one second. What did you think about the hospital scene? Because that's really Pinhead's kind of shining moment. And really all the Cenobites, that's kind of their shining mm, I moment. actually enjoyed that. That was one of the cooler parts, just seeing the wall like mm. open up. Um, I didn't really care for the engineer. I like, <laughs> I did like. You could were able to see the you people dressed the, in black behind. Yeah, them. <laughs> yeah, you could see the rig. Uh, yeah. yeah, um, that was fun. But uh, yeah, I was just like, eh, this is weird. But um, I actually liked uh, the design. Did you like the designs of the Cenobites? Yeah, they, yeah. they were they were. I mean, they were gross, but mm -hmm. I mean, for the most part, I actually, I don't know, uh. Pinhead, like it was odd that he's like the like a horror icon because I was like he's actually not bad looking mm -hmm. like compared to the rest like they're all kind of gross and fucked up yeah yeah 
Oh, sorry, Brandon. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was definitely different. What about you, CC? I like them, but Chatter is going to haunt my dreams for the eternity. That yeah. that that was unnecessary. He was definitely the creepiest. Um the what was the the big guy's name? Butterball. Butterball. Um I've not seen it, but he reminded me of the like the clips I've seen of Spawn. Oh, okay. okay. Is there a villain in Spawn that yeah, he looks like? He's, kind, he's, kind, he's, kind he's a, of, short, fat he's a clown. short fat clown. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess just the same like latex uh, design like yeah. feels similar. It, to, I guess it the, reminded the me the of the um, of the character that Mike Myers used to play in Austin Powers. Oh, shit. I don't oh, remember yeah, the name because oh, the bastard. one was <laughs> fat Irish. Yeah, fat bastard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like kind of like shiny it was latex. Disgusting. Get in my belly. <laughs> <laughs> no. Imagine uh, saying that too. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? Get okay, in my you. belly. Thanks. All right. Sorry, I so was back. <laughs> I knew I knew the continuity bits were hard for you to get through, CC. But what about what what was the hardest actual movie scene? Like what what got you? When it's not a gross scene, but it's like. I don't know. It's weird. When Frank is dressed as Larry and tries to um, corner Christy and oh. says, "Come to Daddy," that was yeah. Did he take off his disturbing. face? He took off his so whole skin. He took off, he skinned him alive. And, and like put it on. you can notice the seams like all yeah, around. Yeah, I, I his... noticed, but I like when you see him, I'm like, okay, this is obviously Frank. It's obviously not her dad. That wouldn't. That's not the way these movies work. Um, but what was confusing, I'm like, why does he look like him? Makes... Bone I'm sorry, I bone structure. I'm sorry for looking for realism <laughs> in, looking, in a million dollar real, horror real. movie. Uh, but yeah, that was yeah, just like, he should look okay, like come on, uh, he should He shouldn't look that similar. Yeah. Like yeah, the stretch yeah, out yeah, skin yeah. or yeah. something. Well, what was it? Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, that's what he should have looked like. Yeah. What did you guys think about that whenever he did take Larry's body? or take I wish skin? they would have shown it. I, no money, man. Yeah, I what know, is no that going to look yeah, like? It would look like no shit. Thanks. But... I don't know. But you can definitely tell that he was yeah, Frank I, I was like, because of the look that it immediately gives her. Yeah, like, that's. His performance is so good. Like Andrew Robinson, he plays kind of like the church dad at the beginning of the film, yeah. and at the end of the film, he is like ultra mega creep. Best actor in the movie, I'd say for sure. Yeah, for doing that the dualistic stuff. I that mean, was fun. That, yeah, like that was that was really good. I always found his performance very captivating in that. So sequel setup. Um, I don't know if you caught it or not. But the Cenobites, whenever they come back for Frank, right, they are actually summoned. Julia, when, when we see her next, she's holding the box open and she's all chained up. She did that because she wanted to be able to come back like Frank because he had already sucked so much of her life force out that she knew that she was going to die one way or the other. So when they come back oh. at the end, not only are they going to get Frank, but they have to... They have to take another soul, which is why they start going after Kirsty, mm. because like Julia's soul, they've already got. Gotcha. So in uh, I don't know how like trustworthy or how like 
if these guys have a code or anything. But they, when they like tell her, uh, we'll go and we'll we'll follow you, but and then we'll talk. We'll yeah. maybe let you go. They, or are they like like they gotta send a email to their higher up? <laughs> Not they they have a code. They have a code, and uh, in this special circumstance, initially. I believe they were going to let Kirsty go, but since the box was opened once more and she was the only, she was really the only one present. Like obviously Julie was mm. gone, but her no life force dibs on her yet. Yeah, her, well, her life force was also partially gone, so there wasn't a whole lot they could do. So it's like, well, we're just going to take Kirsty too. And also, like, but then she's able. Like he's like, no, don't do that when she's putting the box back together. I'm like, is that like? against the rules like you're not allowed to close it like if you're allowed to open it shouldn't be you be allowed to close it so normally whenever they're summoned there's only one other person present right mm-hmm. and that one other person is kind of the they're gripped to the box which is why she had to pry it from julia's hands mm. so normally it's not even a possibility that somebody can close the box huh. but if they do they can send them back gotcha um so yeah, that was our se- that was our sequel setup, and Julia is the one who comes back in part two. Right. Um, yeah, I read the sequel. Like I said, I I wasn't that interested. I was I like when I prefer when horror movies. I mean, I don't know who doesn't. And granted, some horror movies are fun when it go- does the twist and like the good guy loses mm-hmm. just just to change it up. But for I pref- definitely prefer for Kirsty to get away. And so I was like, oh, happy ending, and then I read the the plot for the second i'm like oh not so happy not not so entirely I'm, I'm glad i didn't no. watch it and the way that julia comes back i'm telling you the three minutes that lasted her comeback is worth all the hassle or all the horror that you endured on the first one is condensed in three, three minutes, minutes. Yeah, yeah that's why i stopped watching it really that's when <laughs> that's you the, turn that's it off. i stopped right off. there yeah at the moment that she arrived at the doctor's office, spoiler alert, um, I stopped there and I couldn't continue. It was like 44 minutes in. Yeah. It's it's a good thing we probably didn't watch it ever. It and is. Especially after like your reaction to this one. Mm-hmm. But I am going to tell you about the legacy of all the other films a little bit. There's some interesting things in here. Yeah. So we have Hell, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, a guy named uh, Tony Randall, which we talked about earlier, directs it. Uh, it made less than part one. Christopher Fig returns to produce. It explores the mythology and the hierarchy of these beings. It shows you, um, it shows you their personal hell and what it looks like. Everybody has their own personal hell when they're taken by these things. For instance, Frank is set up in a room where he is like all ready to go and like there are these three beds that come in and out and there are like different nude women that are slightly covered and no matter what he does, he can't touch them. Or if he does, <laughs> it's like crazy kind of pain and he like it all and he dies and then it starts over and it starts over and it starts over. Mm. They all have their own Is pers- there anywhere they have to like run away from their grandmother or anything like that? <laughs> like Bill and Ted? No, no, I don't Bogus think so. Journey. Um Great yeah, the best better Spoiler than alert. excellent. Better than excellent. <laughs> Uh, so it's released one year later, picks up the same week uh, as the end of the first film. And Clive Barker wrote the story and oversaw the production. Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Miramax enters the picture here. Um, and which Hell, 
Hellbound was another independent produced picture and done by New World. But Hellraiser were 3. Were any of them not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So Miramax centers on Hellraiser 3. It's half studio, half um, half independent. Pinhead is, after the end of the second film, he's split into two forms, uh, demon and human. He showed mm. some humanity at the end of part two, and because of that, it's essentially breaking whatever deal he had with Leviathan and has kind of gone into... But do they start off as human? They do. They were start oh, off as humans. Oh, that's they, interesting. Yeah, they start off as humans, and they become what you saw. Huh. Yeah. Um. And part three gets into that a bit. Wait, uh, so could... Uh, do they have to open the box to do that, or is it a do. different route? They do. They open the box, and there's something... It's kind of... Uh, they go through their own their own personal hell, but something in them is so dark that Leviathan, which is like this kind of being and place at the same time mm-hmm. uh, that they inhabit, saw something in the guy who would become Pinhead. Mm, interesting. So they have something darker in them than even Frank. Mm-hmm. Wow. And not only that, like they're, as they live, they're tortured, like... For instance, Pinhead, those those needles, like it's not ever shown in this film, but those needles are constantly twisting and slowly pushing into his head. Oh, He's in like his Tony mu- Stark. Ah, in the heart, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> or Chatterer's constantly in <laughs> Chatterer's constantly in pain. They're all constantly in pain in some fashion or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so, split into two, and Anthony... Uh, Kiedis. No, uh... Hickox of Waxwork fame. I don't know if you've ever seen Waxwork 1 or 2. It's got Bruce Campbell in it. Uh, He directs it. Kirsty only cameos. This film was meant to be Pinhead's film. And he's made in Hellraiser 3. Pinhead goes from I'm the guy that does my job to a different demon form that is unleashed on Earth and is essentially a slasher. He walks around just killing random people. And there's a CD Cenobite that literally throws CDs out of his <laughs> mouth and cuts people up because MTV in the 90s. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was going to, I had a thought. I was starting to chuckle because you said he Pinhead goes from whatever it is you said. I I, I stopped listening because I was laughing in my head because I thought you were going to say Pinhead goes to camp. <laughs> oh, uh, Razor 5. <laughs> um, uh, but then I realized the movie is as ridiculous as that title. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of is. It kind of is. Uh, so Barker was uninvolved until post uh, Miramax brought him in to fix the film because apparently it was a complete mess. So he wrote a few scenes. They did some reshoots and they eventually released it. it came out in 1992, four years after Hellbound made less money than part two. Um, and it was the final involvement of Christopher Fig. And fun fact, the new film Mandy with Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. is produced by Christopher Figg. Oh, wow. Hellraiser Bloodline. Dimension Films. We all know who that is. Right. Uh, Rodriguez's company. The Weinsteins. Weinsteins. Oh. Weinsteins. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Oh. It was their film. They And it was a sub film. It was a sub uh, department of Miramax. They actually fully acquire the Hellraiser rights. Oh, you know what it is? It's that they also produced Spy Kids, and that's what I'm thinking of. Ah, uh, that's yeah. what it is. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So you cheeky bastard. 
This is an Alien 3 type situation where the studio took and recut the film, and it is credited to, credited to Alan Smithy. The real director is Kevin Yeager of Child's Play fame. Um, this has Pinhead in Space. This has time jumps where we go back to like the early 1800s and explains the puzzle box and all the workings and the mythology surrounding it. It was initially two hours. Uh, It was cut down to 80 minutes. And there was a Cenobite that was brought in that was going to take over for Pinhead and be that kind of icon going forward. Of course, it didn't work out. It was the final theatrical release. came out in 1996, four years after Part 3. Less than $10 million at the box office, and they spent around $9 million making it. <laughs> Clive laid out the mythology, uh, but then stepped away, and this was actually the final Hellraiser, Hellraiser film he was involved with. Uh, and technically, in the canon of the film series, this is the final film. Hmm. And then we go to Hellraiser Inferno, directed by Stott Scott Derrickson of Doctor Strange fame. Mm. Straight to DVD. Um, and from here on out, the films become more like an anthology. More or less. Original story and concept released in 2004 years after Bloodline. Hellraiser Hellseeker. This is interesting. Rick Boda directs. Uh, he, would redirect, he would direct the next two entries as well. Kirsty returns. And in this film, Kirsty has a very abusive husband and she opens the box and makes a deal with Pinhead. But it's done in a way that it's like it twists the whole the whole film. It's the biggest plot twist at the end and like you don't even see it. You don't even really see it coming. It's really it was really 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 clever. Um so the next two Hellraiser Debtor and Hellworld released in 2005, 6 months apart from I was going to say I was reading that earlier. It came out like the same fucking year. Same fucking year. Uh, these were not originally Hellraiser films, they but they were morphed into Hellraiser. Pinhead was dropped in, and he's in. He's barely in either of these, pretty much. Um, Detter tries to explain and fails at explain at expanding the mythology. He uses a Freddy versus Jason concept, a failed Freddy versus Jason concept, where there was this cult that wanted to bring Freddy back, and they were called Fredheads. Well, there's essentially that around the Cenobites, and they are called the Debtors. Jesus. Kind of dumb. Yeah. Uh, Hellworld doesn't feature the actual pinhead until the end. Everything before then, it's a simulation. Hellworld is a like a VR uh, game, mm. kind of, or I guess more like an AR game where it's kind of like you're in real mm-hmm. life playing it. And pinhead in this is a random slasher. Lance Henriksen appears, and Henry Cavill has his first film role. Wow. What? Yeah. Um, it is the final appearance of Doug Bradley as Pinhead. Aww. And Hellraiser Revelations. This is Hellraiser God. Great Value. Yeah, Hellraiser <laughs> Garbage Trash. So this film was purely done to keep the rights. Because um, they made it in like two weeks, didn't they? Three days. Three days. Good God! They commissioned. Fuck. They commissioned a script. They had a script in a week. They had all the all the makeup and everything else built within the next four days. They had three days to shoot. Is uh is Pinhead um makeup awful? It it, it is like, but it is a prosthetic. Yeah. How long is the movie? Face. Okay, in the in the poster, it's CG. It's a CG rendition. It's a CG rendition, and I think it's the not, movie's only like an hour and fifteen. Yeah, it's barely enough to qualify as a feature. Yeah. Um. So, here's something interesting. It actually feels like 
um, a Hellraiser story. There are some interesting ideas in this one, and if it was better executed, it could be a really a good film. Um, Pinhead, like I said, doesn't feel like Pinhead. The deal was is they were going to, since Doug Bradley dropped, they had the idea to go back like they were talking about in part four and have a successor. So in this film, he Pinhead builds this kid into another Pinhead. Like he looks, I've seen the last bit. He looks just like him. Looks yeah. just like Pinhead, except for he's all skinned like how Frank was. Um, yeah, it didn't go well. It was pretty. It's pretty awful. It's like one of those films you watch when you just want some punishment or you want to have a fun drinking game. It was released in 2011, six years after Deader in Hell, Hell World. Now, let me tell you about a film that is totally worth your time. It is the latest Hellraiser film. It was shot in Oklahoma. It was shot in Oklahoma City and it was shot in Guthrie. And actually, the the place that they turn um, into Pinhead's lair is a venue. And I've played in this venue. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, it expands the mythology in pretty clever ways. It introduces new characters and new kind of uh, rankings into the Leviathan hell world. It also introduces um, angels that may not be quite as they seem. Uh, Pinhead, like like I said, isn't played by Doug Bradley, but he feels like Pinhead. He has a grovelly voice. He looks really good. He looks like a young version of Doug Bradley. So like Pinhead in the film we just watched, it was released in 2018, seven years after Revelations. It was actually shot and completed in 2016. The delay was to make sure that they put it out at the la- very last minute to retain the rights and grant them another seven years to produce a film. So another weird and fun fact is uh, Pinhead is the only horror icon that is owned by Disney. Oh, wow. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Because Dimension was bought by Disney. Right, yeah. So they've tried to remake Hell, Hellraiser plenty of times. They've brought Clive Barker in to do so. They actually put up this really amazing proof of concept trailer that you can find on YouTube that would be that could be something great. They've had people that make good horror films attached to it, like Mike Flanagan and people like that. But people don't feel like there's an audience for Hellraiser. And honestly, like... You know, I just watched this movie with you guys and showed it to you, and I kind of feel like, man, maybe I think I'm one of the few that would be lining up and beating the door down for that. Yeah, probably. Um, Do you have, like, uh, like your favorites, or do you have your least favorite? Uh, Least favorite, for sure, be Revelations. I think of the sequel, so my favorite Hellraiser film, period, is Hellbound, the second one. Mm -hmm. To me, that film, it's kind of like... um, it's kind of like Predator 2. Like, it expands that mythology a little bit, and I love stuff like that. It does it in a very tasteful way. I think it's a much sharper film, um, and it looks better uh, as well than Hellraiser. So Hellraiser 2 is my favorite. Under that, I would totally put the original Hellraiser, and then I would put Judgment, um, and then I would put Part 3 and Part 6, and then everything after that is kind of about the same. Okay. Except for Revelations, and it's way down there. You're kind of curious what the what everybody else thinks. Oh man, I know they don't like. It. Go, go for, go for uh, it. Go. Yeah. So, like we said, uh, the original has a 68% of critics liked it. Uh, 73% of audiences. Second, 56% of critics liked it. 58% of audiences. So mm-hmm. a little less. Uh, Aww, the third one, the 41%. Dive. 
of critics liked it. 36% no. of audiences liked it. The next one, 31%. So we're just <laughs> dropping each time of critics liked it. 37% of audiences liked it, which came out in 96. Um, 2000, um, so many critics, uh, so little critics saw it. It has no tomato meter score. Well, I think it's because it's straight to DVD though. Yeah. It's um, true, so. yeah. Well, usually I think it has to have at least five reviews for it to actually have a score. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Um, 35% of audiences liked it though. The next one has a 0% on the tomato meter. <laughs> Hellseeker. Really? Uh, yeah. That's so good though. 30% of audiences <laughs> agree with you, Matt. 33. No, 33. <laughs> I don't know if they... And that's uh, three out of five uh, is the average rating. So I better I better get on there and rate, rate these. really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Deader. 17, 17% of critics enjoyed it. 25% of audiences... Uh, that's just an awful name. Hell, Hell World. Yeah. 20% of critics liked it. 22% of audiences... Revelations once again. Zero. Three critics saw it. (laughs) Um, And 6% of audiences enjoyed it. Yeah, I told you that one was terrible. How about Judgment? Judgment, 50% on the tomato meter out of eight critics. Um, But the average rating was 4.8 out of 10. Uh, And the audience score is 28. 28% of audiences of uh, 207 people (laughs) (laughs) enjoyed it. I don't know, man. I, I think Judgment was great. Like, uh, it's it's in my top ten films of this year. Average rating of two point four of five. Gotcha. So I'm gonna assume that nobody's gonna watch any of those. No, <laughs> don't say that, Matt. Hard um, pass. You know what? No, yeah. I, I can't confirm that I will not be watching them. I was ever. Just, <laughs> I was hoping Everett would be like hell. No, <laughs> hell razor. No. Yeah. <laughs> hell no. Anybody have any other things about this film they want to discuss or like? <laughs> I don't. I don't. Uh, you mean before our final feature on the on the podcast? What is our final feature? Favorite scenes, Matt. Okay, how all right. You well, that's, what this? I, that's what I. This thought. is your favorite. That's, your favorite yeah. franchise. You should be so excited to should talk about your favorite. Chomping scene. at the bit for it, man. What is yours? <laughs> don't I'll do that you can't go to come to me Brandon has to go first okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, the ending scene with the hooks on I guess Frank oh the Jesus wept Jesus wept because I just found out that was improv because I just found out because that uh, sound bite is in a song that I listen to oh, yeah. while I work out quite a bit and I was like oh I wonder what that's from and then to heard it I was like oh shit that's where it's from so okay cool CC what about you uh, it's a tough one. I mean, it's such a great movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Um, I think that I will uh, choose Frank's scene when he's opening up the box. The way that that room is lit up and all set up, I think uh, artistically or visually, that is the most appealing to me. Mm-hmm. How about you, Everett? Well, oh, to quote the great Matthew McConaughey, Dragons. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. Dragons. Uh, my favorite scene is, it's the hospital scene, but it's not necessarily whenever they show up. It's when the room and everything starts going crazy. Mm. And like the blood is in reverse and the wall is doing all kinds of weird things. And then they show up. I. They've got some colored gels on their lights. Yes, they do. I love that. Spooky. I, I love it. I love it. Um, 
you have you you haven't watched many David Lynch films, have you? I have seen Eraserhead. No, not even Eraserhead yet. I wanted to watch that one this year, but I couldn't find it. Um, I just God, what have I seen? I Elephant mean, Man. Okay, seen Elephant Man only on TV though. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm, good question. I that may be it. Besides, I also like watched a little bit of uh, um, Nick Cage. Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart. Watched a bit of that. Weirded me out too much. I don't think you're and honestly like, grossed me out. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like this, especially that scene where they start coming into this world, like that feels like a standard David Lynch hmm. movie. And gotcha. I was gonna say, but if you have, if you do not, you like know, there's. That, I'm I'm interested a little bit, but like I really want to see Mulholland Drive because it's like revered and it's like one of those that you're supposed to see before you die. That one's not so bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. That is one of the David Lynch greatest movies. I actually saw it on um, independent film festival that is happening in Buenos Aires every April, and is incredible. I highly, highly recommend it. One of these days, we'll get around hey, to it. Hey, we could watch it. Like it's on it's on Hulu, and it's mm-hmm. on oh, it's yeah, on it every. Actually, it's on just about everywhere right now. Yeah, it really is. So, well, that was Hellraiser, and what's next? Uh, Friday the Thirteenth, I believe. You want to do that one next? Ooh. I think it's on the calendar. I think we like set it up to where. Well, um, Halloween's gonna be the last one, right? Yeah, I guess it. Yeah, just whatever you want to do. I maybe. I wasn't sure if you want maybe to do Nightmare Hall- next because okay. it's more. Ooh, yeah, Nightmare. Fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think you're gonna enjoy Nightmare more than. Yeah, I mean it's after a this. Let's do Nightmare. So yeah. yeah, I always like that one. Nightmare. All right. Nightmare. <laughs> Welcome to my nightmare, right? Anybody? Power Rangers. Uh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's it's Power Rangers. Look, is it? Yeah. Is that a, oh, there is Power one, Rangers. isn't that's there? That's literally yeah. in the movie Power Rangers. Yeah. Ivan Ooze. Welcome to my nightmare. Oh. He says that well, literally. Well, I only literally. saw he... that dubbed in Spanish, so I totally missed that joke. <laughs> is he, Fair enough. Is he, is he quoting Alice Cooper? <laughs> no. Maybe at the time, honestly. Did it you did come out in the 90s. It probably was. Alice Cooper did the theme song for Friday Part 6. Really? Oh, my gosh. It's the most ridiculous thing. I mean, if, mean it's, Friday, if it's... Wait, Friday 13th Part 6? Yeah, it's called really? The Man Man Behind the Mask. Oh, it's not called Friday the 13th Part 6? That would be great. <laughs> Everybody would be like, where's Part 1 through Friday 4? Friday the or 13th Part 6. That would be a great theme. Jason lives even. All right, I I don't have anything else. This was Hellraiser. Thank you. Take it or leave it. Okay. I live it. You can take it, Matt. It's all yours. (laughs) It's all yours, Matt. (laughs) We'll give it away. What is your pleasure? (laughs) Uh, More. This has been a Second Mob podcast. For more audio content or information on this podcast, please visit secondmob.com. Bada bing, bada boom. Woo!